there are a number of metaphors of Christ's body, the church. I won't read the references, I'll just call them out and just, this is an introduction to what I want to say. John chapter 10 verse 14, the church is a flock with Christ as a shepherd. Another one, John 15, 5, we are the branches and Christ is the vine. And in John 18, 36 to 37, the church are subjects of a kingdom with Christ ruling as king. And then John chapter 1, verse 12, we are the children of God the Father. Just let that sink in for a moment. We are the children of God the Father. But having said all that, perhaps the most unique metaphor for the church is is this, a body with Christ as its head. 1 Corinthians Corinthians 12, 13 and 14 says, For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And so what he's saying is this, that at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit, you can use different terms, and people muddle these terms up, but I'm going to say this. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit baptized or placed us into the body of Christ. At the moment of salvation. We become members of his body. And that is synonymous with becoming a member of Christ's church. And as you know, all believers are part of the universal church. And in some places, the New Testament speaks of the redeemed of all ages. Uh, and, And it's talking about believers from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. But usually... The word church, when the word church appears in the New Testament, it's referring to a local gathering of believers, not to the universal church. And as you know, in fact, most of the letters in the New Testament were written to specific local churches. And what happened was this. The apostles preached the gospel, and they organized believers into churches. And I want to stress this this morning, a Christian living detached from the local church is a foreign concept to Scripture. Listen to Paul and Barnabas in Acts 14, 21, 23. After they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must go through many tribulations. We must go through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So the local church, you you here in the Heath, 
this local church is a tangible, visible expression of the universal church. And that universal church extends from the very first redeemed person to the last. And I read that portion in Acts 2 because I want to emphasize this morning fellowship. That's my, that's my topic. And the early church devoted themselves to the apostles, as you know, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And I want to consider fellowship. And, and the idea of fellowship is very important in the life of the church. And really, we need to understand what the meaning of biblical fellowship is. And as you know, the English word fellowship is a translation of the Greek word koinonia. And that word is derived from another root word, which is koinos, which means to hold something in common. And one man has said that koinonia is used uh, 19 times in the New Testament. But this is the interesting point. In addition to be translated as fellowship, it's also translated by the words contribution or sharing or participation. So fellowship is not just being together, it's doing together. There's a huge difference, isn't there? And when, when you put that into the context of a local church, fellowship is people intentionally following Christ, right? Loving him, helping, sharing, encouraging, exhorting, and so on, rebuking, together. And this, this model is clearly seen in the, the one another's of the New Testament. And uh, if you get a chance when you go home, have a look at the, and, and find the one another's in the New Testament. It's a tremendous, it'll be a tremendous blessing to you. And one man has said that there are 47, the one another's is mentioned 47 times in the New Testament. I couldn't find 47. And it, it, it's mentioned there to emphasize how Christians are, are to help each other. Follow Christ. That's the purpose. Um, a friend of mine who you know very well in his church handbook, uh, Chris Reese in Narbeth, says this, relationships in the church. We seek to, to grow our relationships with Christ by following his word. We seek to bring others into relationship with Christ by sharing his word. And we seek to develop genuine relationships within our church, and this is lovely, by intentionally living out Christ's word to one another. And this is the best definition of fellowship that I found. Fellowship is an interchange of mutual concern and care for each other that includes ministering our spiritual gifts. And so the scriptures, they instruct us to minister to one another in many ways. And I won't go through the list 
of the one another's in the Bible, but let me just, just mention some of them, and I'll pick on a few uh, that, that may help us in the situation that we're in. So if you have a spiritual gift, and we've all got spiritual gifts, they're given for different kinds of service. And these verses, the one another verses, they, they go like this. They say, I won't read the references, I'll just call out a list and I'm going to pick on a couple, okay? They say, love one another. Be devoted to one another. Give preference to one another. Be like-minded with one another. Refrain from judging one another. Build up one another. Accept one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another. Care for one another. Refrain from challenging or from envying one another. Bear the burdens of one another. Bear with one another. Speak to one another. Be subject to one another. Highly regard one another. Be truthful with one another. Forgive one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Live in peace with one another. Seek God for one another. Exhort one another. Stimulate one another. Refrain from speaking against or complaining to one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Serve one another, and so on and so on. I'm, I'm going to pick on, a, on, a, on some of those, but before that, I want to remind you that we're commanded to love one another. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that, that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we all also ought to love one another. The reading, John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. John 15, verse 17. These things I command you, that you love one another. 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And what we're talking about here is as you know, I'm sure, agape love. The love of grace. God's love for the world. God's love for his enemies. And amazingly, it's also used for, think of this, God the Father's love for the Son. And God the Son's love for the Father. It's used for God's great message of love for the sinful world, for what was hostile and ugly. And it talks about God's determination, his will to love the world. You know, there are other words in Greek, aren't there? You know them, I'm sure. Philia, the love of friends, that couldn't cope with this type of love. Storge is another word. Love for the family, blood relations, that couldn't cope with this type of love. Eros, linked with beauty, and attractiveness that couldn't cope with this type of love. 
And as you know, this agape love is best illustrated by John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A great love. For God so loved the world. A great gift that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. A great offer. Have you accepted that offer? Have you taken that offer? The Lord Jesus Christ offers himself to you out of love. Have you taken it? Have you come to the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you confessed your sin? Have you repented of your sin and looked to Jesus alone who can forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness? So we're commanded to love one another. Now the question is this. How does this command to love one another work itself out in practice in the church, in the body? How does it work itself out? And sadly, so much Christianity today is, is individual. It's awful, really, you know. It's individualistic. You know, we say, my prayer life, my Bible reading. And obviously, that's important, isn't it? I'm not underestimating that. But not to the detriment of the body. The older I get the more I want to be in the church of Jesus Christ. The more, the older I get, I'm 81, the, the, more, the, the older I get, the more I want fellowship. And I want to be in the body of Christ. It's not, it's not the other way around. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this series on television, but there are no lone ranger Christians. Huh? Think of that. Are you a lone ranger Christian? So how do, how do I approach this topic of working out in practice this idea, to, this command to love one another? Let me approach it like this. Begin with 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says this. Talking about Christians, all right? But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but have, but have now obtained mercy. And so the, the Old Testament principle is fulfilled in the New Testament. As a believer, you're a royal priest. And, and do you realize we have a largeness of standing? We, we should live our lives with, with royal dignity and humility. But not exclusively. So we, so we listen, we pray, we live as royal priests. There should be a dignity. The world looks on and sees us. There should be a dignity and humility about us. What does the world see, sadly? Judgmental, ism, suspiciousness, awkwardness, and squabbling. 
And it's important for us to realize that this royal priesthood is not exclusive to the pastor and the elders. It's true of every believer, every one of us. So the command to love one another applies to each of us. And so it's the body that functions as royal priests, not the leadership only. So let's illustrate how we love one another as royal priests by using some of the verses that, that use the phrase one another. And out of that long list, I'll pick a few and um, we'll see how it goes. By the way, you know Paul in Romans 12, verse 1? He has a priestly role in mind when he says, I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So loving means, what does it mean? Loving means serving one another. That's the first one another, right? Serving one another. Do you see your life as a life of service? Galatians 5.13 For you, brethren, are being called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. John 13.12-15 I read an illustration of this. So what I'm saying is that through love, serve one another. And Christ is our example, isn't he? He's Lord, and he came to serve. And you know, the disciples wanted the most prominent position, didn't they? They bit and devoured one another. They, they were concerned about their position and their reputation. And sadly, we can be like that. Stinking pride rears its ugly head in all of us sometimes. They were concerned about their position, their reputation. Um, but, but we must see ourselves as servants, one to another. Now, do you consider yourself as a servant to that other person in the church. That awkward person. When I was a pastor in Rumley, I used to go on Tuesday mornings, all morning, to visit all the people in the church over 80. Driving over in the car to Rumley, I lived in, still in, lived in Dollar's Top, just a couple of miles away. I'm driving in the car and I think, now who shall I visit? And there were some people you would visit, and you'd come away having learned so much, rejoicing. Okay? There are other people you would visit. <laughs> you'd come away like this. You'd be worn out. So who do I visit? I visited the awkward ones first. I saw that. That's our role. <laughs> so for me, it came over, it came over because I'm driving in the car, but I'm tired, and I, Oh, I visit so-and-so now because she's, oh, she's delightful. She talks about the Lord all the time and so on, you know. No, no, leave her till last. Visit the awkward, and there are awkward people in church, aren't there? 
Christ the Lord came to serve, didn't he? He came to seek and to serve that which was lost. And as servants, we can lord it over others. But this one another teaches us otherwise. We serve one another as royal priests. I've got no time to read it, but Philippians 2, 1 to 8 is the classic illustration of this. The Lord, didn't he, you know, let this mind be in you also, which is in Christ Jesus, although he was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to become equal with God, but humbled himself and became obedient unto the death of the Christ, and so on, you know. Um, that's the classic example, Christ the suffering servant. And do, do you see, have you been humbled by the amazing grace of God? That's where you start in Christianity. Have you been humbled? Have you, have you seen your wretchedness? Paul could say he was the chief of sinners. Have you seen that, that you're a sinner in the sight? You've been humbled when you see that. And by the amazing grace of God, if you see that and you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, you become teachable. And that leads to serving the Lord and one another. And I think sanctification is this. Christ is a servant to you. And out of gratitude to him, you serve him and your fellow Christians. It's not, oh, I've got to do this, you know, I'd better do this. No, no. You can do it by, by looking at Christ. And out of gratitude for what he's done for you, you can then serve others with a, with a full heart and not as a sense of duty, you know? You know oh, I better do this. Um, I, I, you know, no, no, no. It, it, it's Christ is a servant to you, and you've seen that. And then out of gratitude to him, you serve him and your fellow Christian. So loving means serving one another. Loving means bearing one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We are meant to bear one another's burdens. I'm always attracted by Noel Gibber's translation of him. The enormous load of human guilt was on my saviour laid. He bore all our sins, didn't he? And so we're meant to bear one another's burdens. Now that's, again, it's not spoken of as a special group of people. Oh, we leave it to the pastor and the elders. No, no, it's not that, is it? It's to all Christians. And in this particular instance, instance, and this is a difficult one, this is, the burdens of those who, who sin openly or those who backslide. You and I are called to support our brothers and sisters. The aim being Restoration. And we pray that God helps them, but so must we. Note, note in verse 1 of Galatians 6, in a spirit of 
gentleness. There's a great need for gentle Christians in the church. There's a great need. Galatians 5.26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. God keep us from provoking one another. And you know, if you help a Christian, their heads are lifted and so are yours. So as royal priests, we bear one another's burdens. Loving one another means bearing one another's burdens. We've got a few more. Loving means exhorting one another. Exhorting, encouraging. What a... I can think of brothers who I know who are tremendous encouragers. Now, are you an encourager? Or someone who puts a damper on things, you know? Loving means exhorting. Listen to Hebrews 3, 12, 13. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. There, but for the grace of God, why that's the start. So you start, isn't it? Yeah? But exhort one another daily, while it is called day, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. I'll take, for example, one. Thessalonians 5.14 Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. Now a brother or sister is hardening the heart. Particularly towards God and in, in, sometimes in difficult times. Okay? I'm trying to help somebody who lost his wife a couple of years ago and he hasn't got over it. I don't expect him to get over it completely. But it's that type of thing, you see. Um, And let me ask you this. Have you got a soft heart towards others? That that hurts, doesn't it, sometimes? When I say that, it's easy for me to say it. Have you got a soft heart? towards others. Have you got time? Of course we have. We have time. And you know, even in small churches, there are lonely Christians. They're lonely in their hearts. Why? Because there's none of this, of this giving of ourselves to each other. We as Christians today need encouragement to go on with one another. And particularly those people outside, isn't it? And so we are encouraged to exhort or to encourage one another. And you know the New Testament word is paraklio. Parakletos, you know that word, don't you? A paraklete. And a paraklete is a barrister helping us, right? But this is the interesting bit. The word also has a military application. The paraclete, what he does is this. He boosted the morale of the troops, inspiring them with courage and filling them with moral fiber to fight the battle. And that's a key role we have when we speak to one another today. 
And, and the idea is we, we encourage one another and then we go out to face situations with courage and with hope and commitment. I used to play rugby and um, I'll never forget one guy sitting in the changing room before the game started. And um, I, won't, I won't tell you his name, you know him very well. <laughs> but he had the ability to, to, to encourage and stimulate. And he was sitting in the changing room waiting to go out to, to, to win the game. This man had the ability, oh, you know, he could... Yeah, you're right, you're sitting on your seat. I've got to get out there, I've got to get out there. To, you know, it's that, it's that principle, isn't it? And um, the verb, paracleo, is to call besides. And it has two emphases, active. It stands besides and encourages. And passive, it stands beside as a friend. So as royal priest, you and I, as members of the church, are meant to exhort or encourage one another. Let me give you some, exa- some ways, some examples, ways to encourage. By your speech. James 3 is, is, is red hot on this, isn't he? Speak the truth to your brother and sister in love. Compliment. I learned, I, I used to ask my, my congregation, I come down to the pulpit at the end, I stand by the door, and people, some people would bombard you with, with nothing to do with what you've been preaching about. And I used to tell them, please wait until Monday or Tuesday. Don't do it as soon as I come down from the pulpit. <laughs> um, so compliment. Inform, not gossip. So the ways to encourage people I'm talking about now, right? Quote scripture. Correct, but in love, isn't it? Tell them you love them. Comfort. Assure them of your availability. Say thank you sometimes. And James 3 makes much of the use of the tongue. And have, you, have you heard this? Artie Kendall, I heard this from him some years back. He uses an acrostic when speaking about the tongue, right? The acrostic is need. Think of this now when you're going to speak to somebody, right? The acrostic is need. N, is it necessary? You're going to speak to somebody. So N, is it necessary? E, need is the acrostic. Will it edify? Another E, will it emancipate or set free? And the D stands for, will it dignify? So I'm asking you to, to be an encourager with the use of your tongue. And then, obviously, there's, you do, you're encouraged by actions. Listen, be quiet when they speak. I'm afraid I jump in too soon very often. I'm hopeless like that. But I'm, that's what we should do, okay? Give them a crutch, you know? You know? Obviously, you need to be careful, but give them a crutch. Serve them. Do a menial task. You know, the Lord washed the disciples' feet. Now, we don't need to do that today. But 
offer to clean the car, offer to cut the grass, somebody, you know, that type of thing. You know? Do a menial task. Accept them as they are. Point them in the right direction. Be honest with them. Motivate them. Do your best to motivate them and reward. Just um, very quickly, loving means confessing your sins one to another. James 5.16. Now, obviously, I'm not talking about auricular confession to the priest. You know, that's practiced in Rome, isn't it? What I'm talking about is natural confession, mutual prayer. Have you, have you ever felt like this? At the beginning of the day, I sit on the side of my bed and I pray, I, I, I ask the Lord, give me opportunities, thank you for another day, thank you for, that I'm alive, and I pray for opportunities to, to preach the gospel to somebody, to use words and give me the grace to, 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 to recognize how to do it. So at the beginning of the day, I do that. At the end of the day, I sit on the side of my bed and I say, Lord, Forgive me my sins. And I use that, word, that verse, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Now that can be like cleaning your teeth. Right? And um, it can become mechanical. It's too easy. And the Lord who knows us better than we know ourselves says sometimes confess your sins one to another. Now, now, what what do I mean by that? It helps. There are times when it helps to confess our sins to someone else or to others. Now, obviously, care needs to be taken in this. Some people are not ready, are they? Um, For this. And they may be disturbed. Do you remember in the Methodist revival, a man called William Williams organized meetings, which he called experience meetings. You heard about those? And in those, people shared their joys, their experience in the Lord, the joys they experienced in the Lord. They shared their problems, their difficulties, and their temptations. It's interesting, I ask, could we, could we have such a meeting today? The question. And what I'm saying is, as royal priests, loving means confessing our sins to one another. And I'm not talking about everybody. There's somebody in the church who you're very friendly with, you love, and, and is a special friend to you. I'm, I'm talking about confessing your sins to somebody like that. Um, and there's an openness between you. There's a relationship. And when you do that, there's great responsibility on the one who's being confessed to, being trustworthy. Absolutely crucial, isn't it? And, and he, doesn't, he or she doesn't take advantage of the knowledge gained. And that person uses absolute discretion. So loving means confessing our sins to one another. I'll just, just one more. I've got, I've got a long list here, but... I'll just bring this one out and I'll finish. Loving means forgiving one another. No forgiveness is two-dimensional. 
If you say you love God, you love your fellow man. Okay? Love is two-dimensional. You say you love God, love your fellow man. Forgiveness is always two-dimensional. Ephesians 4.32, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Forgiveness. It's all about that. Do you remember the parable in Matthew 18, 21 following? Peter asked the Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times. You're doing well. The Pharisee said three times, didn't he? The Lord answers, till 70 times seven. What he's saying is this, if you're counting, you're not forgiving. Right? And the parable that follows teaches forgiveness. A man owes an enormous sum. His master orders him to be sold and his wife and children and everything that he has and payment to be made. And the man falls down and asks him to have patience so that he could pay him. The amount is so much that it was impossible for him to pay the debt. The master forgives him and he pays the debt. The man goes out and refuses to forgive a man who owes him a small amount. The man pleads with him to, 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 re, to give him time to repay the debt, but he refuses him and has him thrown into prison. The master hears and throws the unforgiving servant into prison until he can pay the debt. Forgiveness is too dimensional. What do I mean? Listen to Colossians 2.13. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now in the light of that, that's how you can forgive. You look at, you look at how the Lord has forgiven you all your trespasses. And you can't forgive your brother. That can't be right, can it? So loving means forgiving one another. Practical tips, and I'll finish with this. We love by warning, by comforting, by supporting, by being patient. We love by showing appreciation, by praying with people. Practical help. Sharing scripture. Hymns. I've got a number of hymn books in the, in, in the house. I love looking at the hymns. Things on the screen are fine, but <laughs> you can't use that in the house, can you? I, 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 re, I get so much from hymns. Obviously, the Welsh hymns to start with, because they're full of, of doctrine followed by application, aren't they? Yeah. Um, so you love by sharing scripture, hymns, Use the phone, visit, share books, CDs, DVDs, mix with everybody. Don't form little tricks. I've seen that. Disastrous. Mix with everybody. Send notes with appropriate works. Make food for somebody. Listen, share blessings, worries. God grant that the world might look at us 
Look when I say Christians. And see how they love one another. And so be drawn to the Savior. I wrote into the magazine. I gave it uh, to the magazine. And they were kind of printed. I finished this. My church, I don't know if you read it. I got it from someone. I can't remember where I got it from. But it's superb, this. If you haven't read it, you should read it. My church. My church is a place where believers are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ where the word of God is faithfully preached and expounded and where the spirit of God is present and the love of God is shed abroad in my heart. It is the home of my soul, the mainspring of my devotion, the heart of my faith, the center of my affection, the foretaste of heaven. You of that? Meeting on the Lord's Day. Foretaste of heaven. God's people are here together. The Lord is here. The Spirit of God is here. <laughs> and I owe it my zeal, my benevolence, and my prayers. When I neglect its service, I injure its good name. I lessen its powers. I discourage its members, and I chill my soul. I am bound in the sight of God to advance its interest by my faithful attendance, by reading the Holy Scriptures, by observing its ordinances, by contributing to its support, by meeting with my fellow members, by watching over their welfare. You know, you've got some friends in the church and somebody hasn't been here for weeks. And you think, oh, something wrong here. So you phone. It's like watching, you see. Not in a fussy way, you know, but out of, out of concern watching over their welfare and by joining with them in worship and prayer and service. God granted that people lo looking on us in church might say, see how these brothers and sisters love one another for his glory. Amen. We close by singing that wonderful hymn, 333, Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God.
And now we pray. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.